Good morning, students of insert ironic pop culture reference here. Hi, just a reminder that tonight is senior prom. Make sure you have your dresses bought, your tuxedos rented, and your contraceptives on standby. Hey, Laura, do you have a date for the prom yet? Ew. Don't be ridiculous. Prom is stupid anyways. I'm going with Dreamy McFootball Man, the star quarterback. What? Why? His dad's a lawyer. We might need to retain him for the podcast. It's a miracle ABBA hasn't sued us yet. I'm torn between a mean old head cheerleader who actually has heart of gold and that awkward girl in my art class who's always wearing glasses but probably looks totally different without them. Hmm. Now that I think about it, they might be the same person. You guys are such sellouts. Why don't you just ask the British kid who just transferred here last week, even though it's the end of the school year? Megan, we're not doing Grease 2 till next month. Just ask him anyway, or you'll forever feel like a social outcast based on this one insignificant event nobody will remember in five years. Fine. Hey, British kid. Uh, who, me? No, Danny Radcliffe. Yes, you. Want to go to the prom with me tonight? Prom? Really? I've never been to a real prom. I've only ever seen them on the telly before, in black and white, on one of the free channels we have back home. Okay, shut up. Is that a yes? It most definitely is. Will there be a live musical performance of some kind? I think the school managed to book Smash Mouth. Smash Mouth? Yeah, I guess their schedule is pretty empty these days. They did that song for my favorite movie. Uh, Can't Get Enough of You Baby from Can't Hardly Wait? What? No. All Star from Shrek. Wait. Why is that vein in your temple throbbing like that? Your favorite movie is Shrek? Actually, it's Shrek Forever After. Hey, is that a levitating table? Ah! What the fuck? Oh my god, the British kid is telekinesis and he's wrecking the place. Watch out for that church organ! Where did you even get that from? Jesus! Smash Mouth were sound checking in the gymnasium and now they're on fire! Hey now, you're an all-star! Ah! Ah! This was a terrible idea. High school is such bullshit. So, earlier today, I saw Megan in person, in the flesh. Yep. And last week, me and Laura hung out and actually watched next week's movie for the show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the one person that I haven't seen since this whole panny D began is Roddy. Which leads me to wonder if Roddy is actually even real. Hmm. And is Roddy actually just part of an AI construct? Does anybody remember Roddy being a real person before? When you think about memories, you're just remembering, Mm -hmm. like, memories. You're not even remembering the points. So it could very much be that we were just remembering something false as a group. Yeah. Or maybe when we all got those little shots in our arms, they were actually implanting memories of Roddy into our minds. (sighs) So that we we don't think that he's an AI construct. Interesting. Interesting. And might my, my, I add, Roddy hasn't said a damn fucking word on this podcast yet, which leads me to believe he feels like we've rumbled him. Oh, no, I was just busy going, trying to think of what my backup plan, because he totally caught me. I'm actually from the future. You know, like that movie with Chris Pratt for the Tomorrow War? 
Oh, and he's from the Tomorrow War. Oh, no, I knew it. He's, I knew he's it. mediocre at best. <laughs> How dare you? It was well-crafted, this plan, to implant a chip or just nice memories of myself. We thought you couldn't possibly be real. Nobody's that nice. Mm-hmm. Even in Canada. No. <laughs> Did any of you guys see Tomorrow War? No. Nah. Yeah, you didn't miss anyone. Okay. <laughs> There's kind of like this weird trend at the minute of a lot of Paramount's movies getting dumped onto streaming services because Paramount doesn't have any confidence in them. kind of feel like Tomorrow War was like the fucking epitome of that. It was just like a movie that they obviously spent a lot of money on and then kind of balked at the last minute to dump it straight onto Amazon. Is that just the future now? Is that mediocre? <laughs> movies will just get huge budgets but is that also the past because that kind of feels like you know a recurring theme going on i mean i kind of feel like dumping stuff on netflix and amazon is Mm -hmm. what stuff going straight to video used to be so Mm -hmm. i don't know i mean when you guys had straight to video over here it was generally stuff that was made to go to video but there was like a trend in the uk because we used to get movies six months after north america Mm -hmm. um, there was a trend of if a movie tanked in the u.s and canada it would usually just bypass theaters completely in the UK and just go straight to video. Like, countless movies that were in theaters over here just were, like, video premieres in the UK. Hmm. Even, like, well-known movies that are, like, kind of cult movies now, stuff like Office Space, Hmm. never got a cinema release in the UK, just went straight to video. Hmm. I just imagine a chip now that it's planted to remind you of the plot lines of movies that you didn't really care about. Yeah. (laughs) What's a movie that you've seen that you don't remember? Iron Man 3. Wow, that's that's a pretty big one. Yeah, I know a lot of movies there's a movie called the forsaken mm-hmm. which is some kind of desert set vampire road movie and i definitely saw it in theaters and i remember nothing about it including who is even in that film i want to say wes bentley's in it but i don't think he is oh this is so many movies just say a movie from the past and i can't remember things just like glimpse of it the phantom of billy zane he's purple and he has a mask don't remember anything else Oh, what else? Uh, Godzilla, the one with Matthew Broderick. All I remember is them like slipping, slipping on marbles, and like that's the scene I remember. And also Puff Daddy and his music video. (laughs) But that doesn't really count because that's the music video, not the movie. My memory is really terrible. Yeah, but the thing is, for I remember more about that 98 Godzilla than I do about the one that came out like six years ago or whenever it was, the oh. one with um, Aaron Taylor-Johnson in it. I remember nothing about that movie, but I sure as shit remember Matthew Broderick and uh, actress whose name I can't remember. Oh, Maria Patillo running around Madison Square Garden, like running away from little Gadzuki fucking monsters. I remember nothing about that 2014 one. I remember it being too much human, not enough Godzilla. That may have been the problem. And I... I- Listen, I will definitely understand that with Godzilla, you need the humans, because other than that, it would just be, you know, giant monsters. But then he doesn't have to be giant, he could just be a monster. But, too much human, that does not make it Godzilla movie. That gives it exactly disaster movie vibes. When you're talking about human, I'm still flashing back if I'm really real. if i I put put a few seeds of doubt in your reality roddy i'm sorry yeah it's just like am i just like virtual pinocchio where like even myself is implanted and i'm implanted with memories of myself that i exist thanks neth (laughs) roddy let me give you some reassurance could be (laughs) 
you know what? Fine. As long as I'm implanted into uh, oh my God, Keanu Reeves and he remembers me fondly, <gasps> I think that's a life well implanted. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, Just call amazing. you Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, welcome to Bad With Numbers, a podcast where we stave off dementia and try and remember the plots of movies we think we may have seen. No, wait. Welcome to Bad With Numbers, a podcast about terrible sequels. I am Neff, joined as always by Laura. Hi. Roddy. hey And Megan. Hey. And this week on the show, we are talking about The Rage, Carrie 2, from the year 1999, directed by Cat Shea. Uh, this one was weird. <laughs> Not fond of casual intercuts of a black and white telekinesis <laughs> yeah yeah there's some weird stylistic choices in this movie for sure had you guys seen this before yeah i saw it way back when it first came out on video i think okay i think for me this was one of the ones where like it was a family party and like you know how you go to family parties and section of the house are like divided for like your age group mm-hmm. so like this one was with all the adults and the parents that are watching this movie and i was like just playing games so when i would come around i just saw the ending <laughs> that's a really thing to walk upon as a kid just the ending of carrie but the thing <laughs> is though, i feel like <laughs> i think that's what most people want when they think of a carrie movie is just that ending so then all of the other stuff beforehand is us to discuss mm-hmm. <laughs> Yep. Sure. Um, I don't remember when I first saw this movie. I know I definitely didn't see it in theaters because I think I actually deliberately avoided this one when it was in theaters because the reviews were kind of stinky on it. And mm. I don't. I'm, but then again, you know, it was '99. I was like going and seeing free movies a week at that point, so I must have like literally gone out of my way to not watch this one. I kind of feel like this was one that I saw on DVD in the mid 2000s, just like maybe as a, a random rental somewhere. That's so much later. Because, like, it came out in 1999, and I really why, I understand why people forgot it, because obviously that's the year that the only thing that people could talk about was The Mummy. But, um... <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. But no, <laughs> I think it's just, like, the same thing. Like, I don't think anyone really was asking you for this sequel. Were you asking for the sequel? I mean, look, this movie comes 23 years after yeah. the first movie. We'll get into it. But this is a movie whose audience, whose target audience, were not born when that original movie came out. I mean... Yeah. I was 19 when this movie came out, so absolutely smack bang in the demograph for this one. I was not born when that fucking original movie came out. So, you know, I mean, I was aware of the original movie. I think I'd probably seen it by that point because I was kind of a big De Palma guy. But at the same time, like most of my friends had not seen Carrie when this sequel came out. I had seen the original Carrie when the sequel came out because I was a big Stephen King geek in high school wasn't there there was a made for tv adaptation of carrie that came out just a few years after this if i'm not mistaken like 2002 and it starred the main girl from the movie may which is a underrated mm. little horror movie a lucky mckee movie mm-hmm. uh, i can't remember the actress's name i want to say angela bettis i could be wrong but uh, anyway yeah they remade they did that tv tv movie remake and then they remade carrie again in 2013 with Chloe Grace Moretz. Um, Again, I don't remember that remake. I know I've seen it, but how faithful it was to the original, how faithful it was to the novel, couldn't say. Yeah, I don't think I saw that one. I saw the 2002 one, and I was thoroughly underwhelmed and kind of pissed off at the time. I think it's like a miniseries or some shit. Yeah, there was like a there was kind of a trend for doing these Stephen King miniseries that had already been movies, because they did that Shining one in the late 90s, Mm. which apparently Stephen King likes a lot more more than the Kubrick film, but he's wrong, might I fucking add, because 
the Kubrick film is like one of the best movies ever made. So what does that dude know? The TV one was written by Brian Fuller. What? <laughs> Just on a side note, and I, I mentioned it on Twitter, but talking about Brian Fuller, because Brian Fuller did that Hannibal TV series, right? Mm-hmm. We, I had a couple of people ask me if we we're going to do Hannibal, the 2001 movie, as an episode. So I rewatched Hannibal this week. Yeah, it, it ain't an episode. It's fucking dull, and <laughs> nothing happens in that movie for the first hour and 20 minutes. We're going to give that one a miss. Um, so let's do a mini episode on Hannibal now. Would I recommend it? Fuck no, that movie sucks. Uh, there you go, there's your episode. Wow, great. Cool. Next week. <laughs> on next week's show. Uh, no, um, okay. So The Rage Carry 2 is directed by Kat Shea. This is the third film that we have done on this podcast directed by a woman, which means we are now officially better than the Academy Awards at recognizing female directors. <laughs> I fucking hate, hate, hate the fact that the Academy Awards over... Eight, it took them over 80 years to recognize a female director as best director. Yeah. I hate that. But I do love, love, love the fact that the woman they gave it to was the fucking goddamn director of Point Break and Strange Days, which are like two of my favorite fucking movies of all time. And the fact that the director of Point Break has an Academy Award for Best Director makes my heart sing every single (laughs) fucking day. Viewers and listeners that don't know, Neth really likes Point Break. Like, really, really. I like Point Break to the fact that I have a full-size original Point Break movie poster in my dining room. Mm. I have a Point Break tattoo, for fuck's sake. Let's not get into that right now, but... Anyway, Kat Shea, she starts out as an actress in the early 80s. She's doing, like, bit parts in movies like Psycho Free. Mm, possibly an episode. <laughs> kind of good. Um, oh, really? Yeah, the, huh. those Psycho sequels are actually pretty good. Hmm. Anthony Perkins actually directed Psycho Free, by the way, which is kind of interesting. But oh, anyway, no um, and she was in Scarface as well, which is directed by Brian De Palma, who directed the original Carrie. Also, one of my least favorite movies of all time. I fucking hate Scarface. The eighty, the eighties one. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, not the thirties one. Not yeah. the thirties one. The eight, the eighties one. Just can't stand that movie. Uh, anyway, she decides acting isn't really scratching that creative itch, so she falls in with legendary producer Roger Corman mm. and ends up making like a handful of kind of grindhousey style movies for him in the late 80s. Cool. Including something called Stripped to Kill, which I now have to see based yeah. on that title alone. Um, Anyway, these movies end up getting her noticed by New Line Cinema, so they hire her to adapt uh, and direct a pitch from a couple of producers, and that movie ends up being Poison Ivy. And for those of you that haven't seen it, Poison Ivy is a 1992 erotic thriller. It stars Sarah Gilbert from Roseanne, uh, Darlene from Roseanne, love her, and Drew Barrymore as two high school friends, and Barrymore ends up seducing Gilbert's dad, (laughs) uh, played by Tom Skerritt from Alien and uh, Space Camp, I don't know. And then all hell breaks loose because Barrymore's character Ivy is a fucking psycho. She like pushes Gilbert's mom off a balcony and kills her and just goes full on fucking crazy. That movie was like a hot commodity when I was in high school. It was like a rite of passage to have seen Poison Ivy because it was kind of lumped in with stuff like Basic Instinct and all those other kind of like high gloss grotty movies at the time. Anyway, it's a cult classic nowadays and guess what? It has free sequels. Um, But at the time it was kind of an underperformer and so Shay went back to working with Roger Corman for a while in the mid 90s. So here's the thing with this movie. This as Megan said, this movie A 
was not originally meant to be directed by Cat Shea. Yeah. But also, B, this did not start out as a Carrie sequel when it was originally greenlit. Oh, how does that happen? Well, that yeah, man, this is kind of the thing. Originally, this was a thing called The Curse, um, and it was actually based on the real-life high school sex scandal from 1993 involving a group known as, and oh, God, I can't believe we have to talk about this, the Spur Posse, who were documenting their sexual assaults and statutory rapes with a points system. And they weren't just scoring with chicks. Like, they were literally having sex with, like, not just slightly underage teenage girls, but, like, apparently, what, like, some of the accusations were from, like, like, one girl was, like, 10 at the time or something, like. Yeah, that was one of the charges levied against them was lewd conduct involving a 10-year-old girl. And you know what? They got fucking charged with a bunch of sexual offenses, and the only one that fucking stuck was the one about the lewd conduct with a 10 year old girl yeah the prosecutors on this case eventually dropped all of the charges which is fucking ludicrous and some of these assholes even graduated with honors and they they did like a talk show they went on a bunch of talk shows you know what they went on they went on jenny fucking jones not shocked a show that we talked about in our very first fucking episode of this podcast yep like and these guys all went on to have fucking lives and whatever after this except for one of them died in a gunfight which you know big fucking loss there um and another did like 10 years eventually for burglary i mean these people this happened in like a little town in california these people are a fucking stain on society fuck them yeah the ultimate the ultimate in the boys will be boys defense you know like people were acting oh jocks racking up you know notches on their belt so what else is new like it's it's i'm like that's that's fucking disgusting yeah their own parents defended them in in that manner saying well they're just red-blooded american teenagers what the fuck yeah if they were intimidated supposedly they were intimidating like some from the accusations they were intimidating them into it it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just, they were just, they weren't just seducing women. I mean, that would be like, if it was sure. all, cons- well, I mean, it would still be statutory rape if they're, if they're having sex with underagers, but like, absolutely. But apparently in that particular state, it's not a statute that was heavily enforced at the time. Jesus. Anyway, okay. <laughs> Sorry. En- enough, enough about those, Fuck those guys. fucking monsters. Some genius at United Artist realizes that they own the rights to the first Carrie, which is, you know, an iconic movie by this point. Like you say, even if you haven't seen the movie, you know that shot of Sissy Spacek covered in fucking blood with fire all around her from the end of that film. So they retcon this script to make it a sequel to the 1976 film, Mm -hmm. which in retrospect is a really fucking stupid idea because the weakest thing about this movie is all of the efforts to try and tie it into the first one. Did they... decide this before or after they started shooting it was the reshoots to tie it in with carrie that's what i'm curious about no i think that i think it started filming as a carrie sequel but certainly when it when it first went into development at united artists it was not a carrie sequel i wonder what the original script looked like uh like in terms of instead of because there's all these scenes where uh sue snell is trying just to impress upon oh you have this genetic thing and you know we need to stop things from happening or whatever like i want to know 
like instead of that was there like a back because it said it was you said it was called the curse originally it mm. maybe it involved somebody telling her that she was cursed I don't know. maybe i don't know i want to I mean, know i want to know what if there was a storyline like that because if it was just straight up her just it, all the other stuff happening with no other mitigating factors that'd be a pretty dark movie sure i mean all of the fucking carry stuff that they retcon into this movie just feels like a square peg in a round hole a little bit. none of it really seems to fit so yep Anyway, like you say, the original director, Robert Mandel, uh, quits a week into production. Robert Mandel, by the way, most famous movie, early Brendan Fraser movie, School Ties. That was one of his. That was pretty good. It's a good movie. School Ties, it's got like uh, early doors, Ben Affleck, early doors, Matt Damon in that movie, Chris O'Donnell. I don't really care about him. But um, anyway, yeah, he quits like a week into production over creative differences. Ooh, I hate it when that happens. And United Artists quickly draft in Shea as his replacement. And therefore, that's what gives us the rage carry too. This movie opened in theaters on March 12, 1999, where it debuted number two that weekend for a $7 million weekend, which is kind of underwhelming. A uh, movie goes on to only make $17 million, which is, you know, not good for a teen horror in the late 90s. That is compared to the $33 million that the original made 23 years earlier. Uh, and for inflation nerds, $33 million in 1976 would have been around 96 million in 1999 mm. and about 157 million today sorry this podcast is big with financial people uh, <laughs> no it's not <laughs> i mean that's fascinating yeah. to me so that's what matters <laughs> elsewhere in the box office this weekend at number one we have in its second week analyze this yeah i'd I don't remember that at all. That's a movie I don't remember. This Is that the sequel or the first one? That's the first one. That's the first one. Okay. I don't really like that first movie, uh, and I haven't seen the sequel, but I imagine that sequel is probably an episode. I watched a bit of the sequel once, and I was really fucking confused. It seems like the kind of movie that should have played exclusively on airplanes. I don't yeah. know. I get that vibe from it. It feels very much like an airplane movie. Uh, number three that weekend, another teen movie, Cruel Intentions. Is that an iconic movie? Because I feel like it was a big deal for a lot of teenagers back then. I think it became one. I think it was. Uh, I think it was more of a more of a rental sleeper hit kind of thing, right? I mean, oh yeah, had chicks making out in it. And it was probably a lot of teenage guys that were renting it when it came out. <laughs> I uh, I definitely saw Cruel Intentions in theaters. Um, it it was a it was a big deal at the time. It wasn't a huge hit, but I think the combination of like the star power of Reese Witherspoon, Sarah Michelle Gellar, and Ryan Felipe was a hot commodity at the time. And then the song from The Verve. Is it The Verve? Yeah, it had Bittersweet Symphony on the soundtrack. It had it actually had a pretty good soundtrack. It had like Skunk and Nancy, Placebo all over that soundtrack. Yeah. I feel like that's your key to like a classic teen hit is you have like kind of like a uh, what I guess a progressive story or just something that's trying something a little different and then a killer soundtrack. You know what? Maybe it's just a killer soundtrack that makes a good teen. <laughs> I mean, is it even really trying something different? Because it's it's just another retelling of Le Liaison Dangereux or Dangerous Liaisons or Valmont. Number four that weekend was The Corrupter, starring Chow Yun-Fat and Mackie Mack. <laughs> Anybody seen The Corrupter? Haven't seen it. No, it was one of the ones like, just go watch Hardboiled and all of other Chow Yun-Fat's great films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, Charion <laughs> Fat's like US output was not great compared to his Hong Kong output. Mm. I don't think. I kind of feel like he did. Uh, he did that replacement killers movie with Mira Savino, which was kind of okay. 
Um, and wasn't he in one of the fucking Pirates of the Caribbean movies? Yeah, he was also in the Dragon Ball Z movie. So oh, let's not think about his... like Hollywood, about- why you do Chow Yun Fat dirty like that? He deserves better. Um, number five that weekend... Baby geniuses. <laughs> I really, I that I really movie liked existed. that one. I was also four, so. <laughs> I really remember liking babies with their mouths. Like, did they do the thing where they made their mouths move digitally? Sorry. Yeah. Oh gosh. Something like that. I I have a vague recollection of seeing the ads. I never saw it, but it has a uh, a sequel called Super Babies Baby Geniuses Two, which is rocking a mighty zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, is that? Oh, that's one of the zero percent. One of those right? mighty zero percents you were talking about. Might be an episode if anybody Ugh. dares watch. I think it. I, I think that goes in the same vein as Airbud or or those movies with the chimps. The MX MVP MX M MVP Most Valuable Primate. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I feel like you're defending that title. <laughs> it's like it's like t- without giving too much away. Uh, we might be getting to one of those movies mm. in the near future. Um, <laughs> anyway, that was the box office for the Rage Carry Two. Let's get into this film, shall we? Uh, this movie opens with some religio mom dousing her house in red paint for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What is that reason? Like, is it just be like red is the sign of? I don't know. I was like redecorating. <laughs> is it the cheapest paint? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe if if you want to go fucking cinema language on it, it's probably just to establish red is obviously such a predominant color in the first movie. Yep. It's just to kind of line it up with that. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But then she also manages to douse her kid's face in it because her little kitty, young Rachel, says something to her and she just slaps this paintbrush into this kid's face. And it's <laughs> mean. Rachel's like, let's go play or something. You know, why don't you come play with me? And the mom's across the face with the, with the paintbrush. <laughs> and then literally in the very next scene, she's getting carted off in a straight jacket. That kid blatantly phoned child services yes. in between. Oh, no. yes. My mom hit me with a paintbrush. <laughs> Can you come and take her away? Yeah, I had the yeah, I had the same thought. I was like, wow, that escalated quickly. Uh, and then we basically cut to grown-up Rachel, uh, played by Emily Burgle. We'll get to her in a minute. But um, she's got this cute doggo. Mm. Uh, I think this is like a, a basset hound kind of dog. Yeah. Um, and she lives with her adoptive parents, who are clearly scumbums because the dad is wearing a white t-shirt and he's very cranky. <laughs> I don't want to lose my 300 bucks a month. He's like, yeah, he's a real grumpy guts, this guy. Um, This movie does cinematic language real good. Um, Remember at the end of um, the wrap-up episode that we did, somebody asked who our favorite dog is in a sequel? Mm. Mine's Walter. Is you is the dog from this movie? He's a he's a little cutie in this movie. He's so sweet, and I'm really glad that Rachel uh loves him. I wouldn't say cares for him necessarily, but you could tell like she sneaks oh, yeah. him in to sleep with her and everything, so she makes sure that he's okay. And when she runs to hide from her mom, then you know she's cuddling with the dog too. I don't know. I vibe with Walter. I think he's cool. Yeah, I like Walter, and I'm kind of not cool with this whole rule of. Of not having the dog in your room in, at night as somebody whose dog frequently sleeps at the bottom of his bed mm-hmm. um although as annoying as that can be to have a dog get up in the middle of the night and start digging mm-hmm. in the bed for whatever reason <laughs> i would certainly never outlaw pets from being in bedrooms in my house huskies are hilarious <laughs> yeah i have a husky for those that don't know and he has 
foibles, let's say. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. For those that kind of don't like, so wait, cinema language is just basically a movie using familiarity with imagery to convey yeah. a certain okay because that movie is a, like like you said with the parents to her friends to her listening to evanescence i feel like there's like a <laughs> cinema language that was throughout this film yeah so good yeah a certain aesthetic emily burgle the the actress playing rachel i actually found out that she's from milton Keynes in the uk uh you guys probably don't know about milton Keynes, but our uk listeners i guarantee you know about milton Keynes. <laughs> Milton Keynes is what happens when, in the 1960s, they decide they want to build a new town somewhere in the UK, and they're going to model it on the North American model of building a town, which means it's all straight roads on a grid. There are like a billion fucking roundabouts, for, and it's very confusing to drive around. And also, as somebody that's been to Milton Keynes quite a few times, it's kind of shit. Mm. Sorry, Milton Keynes listeners, you know, <laughs> MK Don's great team, but uh, I did see REM there once, for, mm. which is kind of cool, and Green Day not on the same bill Mm -hmm. but apart from that Milton Keynes not got a lot going on Mm -hmm. anyway Emily Burgle she's um she's had like a pretty steady career after this movie she's been in a lot of tv stuff she was on stuff like um Desperate Housewives she was on Scandal Mm. she even had like a recurring role in that Netflix Mindhunter show but she never really kind of like blew up as a film actress after this movie which I think is kind of a shame because she's pretty good in this film she is doesn't she do like a I feel like I was like googling because I was like oh I recognize her and because I remember her back in the Gilmore Girls yeah. where she plays the main girl which is really ironic considering what the role she plays here mm. but when I was googling her she's like singing a lot so I think she's also in Broadway theater so oh, I feel like okay. she has like that healthy career of like getting that money through TV gigs which is still good money and then also Broadway career so mm-hmm. yeah maybe not like the glitz and glamour of like the okay I didn't know that I didn't know she was a Broadway I think so I don't know she's good in this movie Um, probably better than everybody else in this film I think she's maybe operating on like a slight level above right Um. anyway she heads off to school where she gets on the bus and meets her best friend Mina Savari mm. as previously featured in our American Pie 2 episode Um. this must have been like a banner year for Mina Savari 1999 yep because she's just getting laid in a lot of movies this year she's literally just lost her virginity in this movie mm-hmm. Um. she her and Chris Clark get it on in American Pie that year uh, American Beauty is also that year ew um, <laughs> what other movies beginning with the word American was she in that year was she in American History X American Movie did she have a cameo in American Psycho anyway regardless she's playing a character called Lisa not Heather Lisa let's get that clear mm-hmm. Um, and she's basically saying how she's lost her virginity to another fucking returning star of this show, Zachary Ty Bryan. Yeah, yeah. From Tokyo Drift and also previously of Home Improvement. Uh, he plays like a big square-headed douchebag in this. And it transpires that all his jocko mates are like giving the girls scores out of 10 because teenage boys are fucking gross. Yep. Anyway, apparently him and Mina Savari hooked up, so now I just feel bad for her. Also, this movie made me all realize, too, that the guys in She's All That were also terrible people. Because they did the exact same thing, right? Uh, I, I haven't seen She's All That in at least 20 years, because I don't like that <laughs> movie. But, um, but I'm going to say yes. I mean, just in general, don't like 
put humans as your bets. <laughs> like, just don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Maybe don't use women as commodities with your fucking friends. We're not a prize. Yeah, it's fucking grim. Um, and yeah, I feel like it's based on a, a true story that is even more grim, but we let's not fucking go back into that. Uh, we also get Jason London here, who um, clearly has some kind of crush on uh, Rachel, because he keeps staring at her and then looking away and then staring back at her, and I'm watching him thinking, yeah, I knew that move in high school, my friend. What is that? The look and stare? What is that? Mm. I don't know these moves. Your high school is different. <laughs> the kind of, I'm going to look at you until you catch my attention, then I'm going to deliberately look away and then glance back that is a fucking move mm. unfortunately it's the mind games it's the it's mm. the hunt you gotta look for my gaze yeah <laughs> i think that's it pretty much it nice um and then also we get fucking finch from american pie here yep. i mean are these guys just all like car sharing to movie sets in the <laughs> late 90s what the fuck I am, like, amazed Freddie Prince Jr. does not fucking rock up in this film at some point. I, I kept laughing because I, uh, I kept saying, shut up, shit brick, at the, at the screen. Yeah, he's kind of obnoxious in this one. Yeah. Also, the actress who played in the Clueless TV shows in this show, in this movie as well. Uh, Rachel Blanchard, yeah, she was in uh, Road Trip as well. Yes, she was in Road Trip. <laughs> uh, anybody notice that all the girls in this movie have Jennifer Aniston hair, by the way? Yes, and the, there's a proliferation of blue dresses, and it's all like like this powder baby blue yeah. color. Mm. Uh, like, Rachel ends up having one uh, later on the, the other Tracy? Tra- Tracy has one, and then, like, when they go to the dance, there's, like, a bunch of other girls wearing dresses that are that, are that exact color, and I was like, either this is a trend or some kind of cult. Yeah, maybe. I guess it was a trend. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember people wearing that. Is it just because it contrasts with all the blood that is going to be shed at the end of this fucking film? Maybe. It's just an ugly color in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Weird shapes, too. I don't think I own any powder blue dresses. <laughs> we should go on a shopping spree. <laughs> Invest. Never know when you need it. Mm-hmm. Mina Savari finds out that she has been rated in this fucking awful book mm. that uh, Zachary Ty Bryan and all his friends are keeping. And, you know, I get it. That's a fucking horrible thing to find out about. She decides that she's basically had enough of this already. And like 15 minutes into the movie, she um, throws herself off of the school roof after learning what a shitbag Zach Ty Bryan and all his friends are. Mm-hmm. Uh, this death is brutal. She fucking hits the windshield of a parked car and it's kind of shot from inside the car. So we yeah. just like see Ugh. her full on hitting that glass and that glass shattering. Mm-hmm. And they reference it a lot too. Yeah. I mean, look, the, the reaction that these kids have to this is questionable at best because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. a lot of them are just kind of standing around dumbstruck by it. And that one asshole with the camcorder. Yeah. What the fuck was his damage fucking dude comes in with a camcorder and like what are you gonna do with that footage man you're not sending that to america's funniest home videos what the fuck are you actually gonna do yeah what's interesting about this movie is that like i kind i really do wish that it didn't take the carrier route because there are horrors there's a lot of horror just in like the human interaction and we're or sorry not human interaction what humans are capable because like we're talking about that guy that film corded the, like this death this very triggering death 
And a part uh, the, what I'm remembering is like, hey, wasn't that that YouTuber back way back? Not way back, really recently. Still fresh, went to Japan and literally oh, just recorded. Logan so Paul. that's like the yeah, horror of yeah. this film is like oh, that. Yeah. We we say like, who does that? I'm like, you know what? That actually has happened in real life, and someone recorded it and put it on their YouTube for fans to see. Yeah. And I, I like like it. I felt like it never really explored or did justice to see. Like put a sorry, how to phrase this? To put a viewer through that experience, and then to just have it kind of be this carry ending, I feel like it wasn't worth it <laughs> for, yeah, me, dude, for me. Look, I totally agree with you because I think the the telekinesis and all of the supernatural elements of this movie are far and away the least scary part of this film. Absolutely, the terrifying shit in this movie is high school, high school boys jock mentality all of that stuff in this movie is horrific and terrifying yeah and all of the telekinesis stuff just feels fucking tacked on i mean it has a similar synthesis to carry in that it incites a sort of like anger in the audience like at the injustice of it and then at the end she's you know <laughs> it gets pretty horrific at the end and it's like oh but there's a part of you that's like well, i don't feel entirely sorry for these people even though you're like oh, no they're 100%. being horrifically murdered sure <laughs> what is wrong with me um but isn't the kind of isn't the hook of the first carry that a lot of the torment and bullying is being carried out by other girls and it's therefore like a more internalized misogyny kind of thing mm-hmm. whereas here it's just fucking straight up men are fucking awful right it's uh yeah the first the first one she gets mistreated by her classmates uh and and it's it's uh it's other girls but the you know the gym teacher takes them to task and punishes these girls which is interesting they actually get punished uh and by the end of the movie i think by the end of the movie when carrie by the time carrie goes to prom most of the girls have already forgotten about it except for like that one girl and that guy like they they uh just a small group of them plan this revenge plot and then like that's why the original movie is so tragic because she goes to the prom and is actually enjoying herself people are being nice to her and then and then somebody dumps pig's blood on her and she goes completely loco and takes out her anger on all these people that are like the fuck is happening like they a lot of people that had absolutely nothing to do with it whatsoever it was you know the trigger point came from just like these two individuals essentially and speaking of that scene at this point in the rage enter sue snell Yep. Who is a survivor from the first movie, played by Amy Irving. Um, she's now a guidance counselor at this school, I think. Um, did you guys have guidance counselors in high school? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, this is not a thing that we had in the UK. Um, you know what? You got problems at home? Tough fucking shit. You deal with that outside of school <laughs> hours. You do not bring that into school with you. That was kind of the fucking stance that certainly the high schools I went to had. So explain to me as a, a foreign fucking idiot what is the purpose of a guidance counselor it's kind of like hr but for high school so it's dealing Mm, with that's perfect it's dealing with uh you know like relationships between classmates bad behavior in school career guidance um things like bullying uh but like i think it has more i mean this is probably really cynical but in some cases it probably has more to do with the with the high school covering its ass legally than anything else yeah 
because I like I am biased because like even for me like I feel like at my worst times in high school like just like emotionally with whatever is dealing with my life the guidance counselor just made it worse yeah <laughs> okay so, so so movies are kind of right because anytime I've seen a guidance counselor portrayed in a movie they've always been like a completely fucking ineffective schmuck yeah. who really doesn't really know what their fucking job is supposed to be I mean I guess I lucked out but I went to a, an arts high school and only once and she was my English teacher as well so I think that because she had that bridge into understanding who we all were and what we were supposed to be like when I went and I met with her and I just said hey something's up she's like yeah you know what I know you you haven't been you know Mm. putting out your homework properly you haven't been whatever see that's what it should be because the thing is though like I Love to hear stories about that because it shows like because I feel like we need to see more positive stories about high school because mm-hmm. like again so to not see that this is our only story of like yeah terribleness, um but yeah like I wish there were more of that because I think mm-hmm. when I was in high school like it honestly felt like this was just a person just trying to get by they could care less like they're just more about following the rules and abiding by the principle and what they want rather Mm -hmm. than sitting down listening to what a student says even if it might not go with like what the rules are Mm -hmm. because like i don't know like catholic school rules are stupid (laughs) i mean the other thing was is that some girl was trying to go around on twitter and saying she was gonna fight people and I, at the time, I wasn't, you know, on in her good books. So I went to the guidance counselor and I just said, hey, listen, I want you to know that this is going around. And if something happens, I want it on the record that I was defending myself. Like, I'm not going out. And she said, okay, well, I kind of have to say something about this. And I, you know, I kind of wanted her not to because I was just going, you know, to, to say, hey, I don't think it's going to happen. But if it does wasn't me and she actually actively did something we already established you went to school in a prison so it's true so i stabbed them no (laughs) with my with my shiv spoon that i grated on brick for some reason yeah man we already know your high school days were a fucking liability (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah no she she actually was able to say something and i mean of course high school girls the girl gave me some two-faced like oh i'm sorry if you were offended bullshit and it's mmm i see (laughs) but it didn't explode which was nice and now she listens to this show (laughs) if she does that's some tea like again like nothing saying like that stuff is the scary shit like the (laughs) two-facedness like like that's why like like what's it called going like way back to like Buffy or whatnot like hell is high school I feel like that is like this mm-hmm. metaphor that people can relate to I'm so glad that the internet was barely a thing when I was in high school because yeah same same <sighs> cyberbullying I'm glad I didn't have to deal with that <laughs> sure and, and as somebody that's like raised a child that has been you know had the internet in her life pretty much for the entirety of her life mm-hmm. I've seen that shit firsthand, and it is fucking brutal yeah but yeah I mean yeah we just didn't have guidance counselors I like you know if we had a problem figure
figure it the fuck out. You know, it's weird that that was uh, something that school, I mean, I don't know if schools in the UK have it now. I mean, you know, I'm talking like fucking 25 years ago, nearly we're talking now. So, but certainly in the nineties, that was not a fucking thing at British schools. I guess why it's a bit jumping ahead, but I guess why, how I kind of feel about this movie is that, I don't know, like it's the one where like, I didn't want to see it where it's like that story where it's like someone is getting hurt and like abused and in the end it's sad and it's tragic and it's one of the ones where like it's that story that is always told and like and like there's a point where like i want to say something else because it makes me feel that that is the only like way path (laughs) that it's just going to be tragic And I think part of that is down to the fact that Sue Snell is just completely ineffective as a guidance counselor. She's fucking useless in this movie. Yeah. But also, this school has bad pastoral care because one of their students literally kills herself during school time and they don't even get, like, the rest of the day off to process that. Yeah. They get, like, one fucking announcement on the tannoy. I mean, that's just bad form, right? Is it just American schools? Because like I think when I think to America and I think of their healthcare and I think of all the things like like maternity leave and everything like that, I was like, is that just on par? Is that literally just how it is to be like an American student? That's so sad. Maybe they're just drilling it into them early. Um. Yeah. Anyway, we're also. We find out Rachel works at a drive-through photo processing booth. Yeah. This is crazy. also a new thing to me. Drive-through photo processing. What? Nope, I had not heard of that. Yeah, that was that was a. I mean, it wasn't a thing in my town, but it's a thing I was aware of. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. No, like when I was growing up, um, you had to take those photos to the pharmacist and stare intently at the pharmacist and never break eye contact with them, so you could see if they were judging what you had on your fucking photos. <laughs> You kind of made like a, an unspoken pact with a pharmacist that, oh, you've seen my personal shit now, my friend. Yeah, the the teachers went through Lisa Lisa Lisa's locker and uh, they found like a roll of film and a letter detailing what happened because she mentions losing her virginity to this guy and she thought that he loved her and blah blah blah. Sure. Yeah. So the the photo roll gets sent to the the hut that Rachel works at, which seems like a bit of an oversight. Um, and I think they also interviewed Rachel um, right afterwards as well. Oh yeah, po- the police dealing with this thing by the way also fucking useless yeah they say to this cop that it's probably statutory rape yeah and he calls it a stretch yeah he was like that's a stretch and i'm like fuck this guy how is it a stretch it's either statutory rape or it's not it's a statute (laughs) it has a standard age of consent either it's statutory rape or it's not there's no stretch um we find out that rachel's mom is currently a resident of arkham asylum yep uh she uh she locked up in there with a penguin y'all got a killer croc doing some time in there Uh, got (laughs) got a joker running the holes in that joint and if you're listening at home or in the car or you're taking a shit right now, and you're sitting there going, uh, actually, Neff, the Arkham from Batman is a reference to H.P. Lovecraft, then yeah, I know that, nerds. But you know what? H.P. <laughs> Lovecraft was a fucking racist. So fuck that guy. I'll just keep it Batman, okay? 
We we were debating that when we were watching it whether or not that was a Batman reference or a Lovecraft I, reference. I think it's probably more a Lovecraft. Yeah, reference, I mean but... Lovecraft horror horror stories that take place in New England. Stephen King sure. horror stories that take place in New England. Sure. Although this movie does not take place in New England, right? This, this I don't is think blatantly so. California. Yeah, it looks happening. like a Cal- it looks like California. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Sue Snell, she fucking sucks in this movie. She brings Rachel in to talk to her. Mm-hmm. And, and look, Rachel has telekinesis, yeah? We find out later in the movie through a very ham-fisted bit of investigation that Rachel and Carrie White share the same father. Mm-hmm. That's the fucking Fredbear tie between these two characters. But Sue now, she's like interviewing Rachel and then the fucking, I think it's the coffee mug. Yeah. Just moves across the table. You know what? If you witnessed a gymnasium full of your peers get barbecued alive (laughs) and you see a coffee mug moving of its own volition, guess what? You're red flagging that shit right away. You're not sitting on that and waiting to see what happens next. Or or having a PTSD flashback. Like, oh god. (laughs) Um, They shoehorn in a lot of footage from the original movie into this one. Apparently, Sissy Spacek did not initially let them do that. She said that you cannot use my image in this movie, but Kat Shea actually convinced her to let them use it in the end. But I don't know. I kind of feel like Sissy Spacek might have been in the right there. She turned down an offer to cameo, but gave permission to use the scenes as flashbacks. From what I I read somewhere, that basically Kat Shea edited those sequences together and then sent them to Sissy Spacek and got the got her approval for them. Sure, I mean, look, at this point in her career, Sissy Spacek does not need to be doing fucking Carrie too, right? I mean, she was like, yeah. She was in In the Bedroom a few years after this. I'm pretty sure she got an Oscar nomination for that one. Fucking great movie if you've never seen it. Anyway, um, we cut to the fucking football coach basically preparing all these Jocko boys for their big game. Oh, yeah. He makes this kid take his fucking pants down in the middle of the class. Yeah. To humiliate him. Yep. The fuck is this? That was chilling and also probably accurate to how things like that happen. No, yeah, I had the same vibes. Like, it's, that's, again, like, the horror aspects are those moments. Because mm-hmm. watching that was, like, it's hard, it was hard to watch. He Is this, like, the fucking coach from that Penn State fucking team that ended up going to jail? That's what it reminded me um, of. You know what, coach? If you do that to a child, guess what? You're going to fucking prison. Um, yeah, like Roddy said, they keep cutting to these fucking black and white shots for, like, no real reason. Um, it's a weird, really it's a weird stylistic choice. Yeah. Um, occasionally this movie just lapses into, like, doing bad De Palma impressions with, like, the gyrating cameras and the whip pans and all that stuff. I just kind of feel like, again, if it was just detached from being anything to do with the first carry, it's a better fucking movie. Anyway, uh, these dum-dums try and scare Rachel by harassing her in her home, and uh, she ends up, like, dropping a window on Zach Ty Bryan's pudgy little fingers. <laughs> I mean, she should be dropping a fucking house on this guy's head, not a fucking window pane, but whatever yeah oh yeah we jason london we should probably talk about this dude playing um the love interest here Mm -hmm. um he's kind of a fucking blank in this movie right he's like really bland here yeah uh he's in dazed and confused he like plays the lead character in that movie but he's surrounded by like such an eclectic cast in that movie you know you've got like rory cochrane um matthew mcconaughey all being like crazy characters in that film that his blandness actually kind of works in his favor in that one he's kind of like the reasonable center in in amongst like a bunch of wacky cohorts 
but here he is just like Chris Klein level of fucking blank, right? Mm-hmm. He's a he's a non-entity in this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he is kind of like Chris Klein. He's the exactly like Chris Klein because he's like the quintessential like uh, the the good guy jock, you know, the jock that's in with the jocks, but also a nicer dude. Yeah, I'm not buying it. Such a cliche. I mean, Jer- uh, Jason London. He he's got a twin brother, Jeremy London, and mm-hmm. Jeremy London is the one that was in Morats, right? Yep. He also claimed that he was kidnapped in 2011, which apparently what? was not true. And what? <laughs> yeah, both of those guys have have got pretty shady fucking reputations in this day and age. So let's not waste too much time talking about them. But yeah, we so Sue Snell does some like top notch detective work. She goes to visit Carrie's mom. Uh, sorry, not Carrie's mom. Rachel's mom. Mm-hmm. Um, she basically goes to visit the mom in the asylum, and the mom just basically outs and tells her that it was fucking the guy that was Carrie White's dad is also Rachel's dad. She just blurts it out. Yeah, there's no like gra- legwork done by Sue Snell to find this out. It's just like mm-hmm. handed to her on a fucking plate, right? Mm. Um, so Sue Snell takes Rachel to the school that burnt down 23 years ago. This place is still fucking standing. Like, after everyone yeah. died there? Are you kidding me? Yeah, that, that I thought that was funny. A, it looks like a burnt out factory, which is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and B, why the fuck would they just leave it there? That's so weird. Yeah, they just built a new one. There isn't even a <laughs> plaque or anything. Like, they could at least put up a plaque and be like, this is the site of a, uh, you know, where the, where, you know, a bunch of teens tragically burned to death. But no, there was supposed to be, I read somewhere that there was supposed to be a shot where, uh, where, uh, Rachel kicks a burnt bucket. What? Really? <laughs> and they were like, eh. Nah. <laughs> They're like, we're not going to include good, that good after choice, all. Good choice. <laughs> it's like, ooh, that would be kind of dark. Yeah, but also that would have totally fucking stretched the credibility of this even further. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like all these fucking football guys shave their heads to like intimidate the opposition. Um, but guys, aren't you all wearing helmets? Yeah. yeah, I don't get that. I don't get that either. Nobody in the audience is going to notice it until the end when they take their fucking helmets off. And then everybody's going to be like, <laughs> you could be wearing a fancy assortment of toupees under those fucking helmets and it ain't gonna make a jot of difference um as someone who just shaved my head two weeks ago and rocking what i keep saying is a very cool tank girl look with it might i add thank you it makes me feel tougher um however my best friend shaved my head and i do not feel any more of a camaraderie with her <laughs> like sure. now than i did before and i, I still love her terribly but that did not bring us closer um although she did fix because cohen was the one who started it Mm. so she fixed all of the mistakes um (laughs) so that was great i appreciate that as somebody that's been kind of cutting their hair pretty tight for the last fucking 20 years of my own back i think i've been to a barbershop twice in the last 20 years Mm -hmm. um how do you fuck up shaving a head it's like literally it just all comes off (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i had this weird halo around the top of my head so i almost looked like one of those kappas from japanese you had like a monk cut maybe going on a little bit yes so it was uh it was interesting to see just the little you know loop around the top of my head where it was longer than Uh, the actual top of my head yeah these guys doing it is just a completely futile exercise but sure or whatever uh sue snell busts rachel's mom she busts rachel's mom out of the asylum to a really 
funky fucking drop on the soundtrack, by the way, which is completely out of place. There's just like this literally 10 seconds of like wah-wah guitar at this point. Yeah. And it just feels like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, worst heist ever. What the yeah, fuck? It's, yeah, gum on the fucking lock of the door. What the hell, lady? Yeah. They're rolling around town and the crazy mom looks out the window and starts talking to some imaginary guy. Yeah. Uh, but then it cuts back to the same shot where she saw this guy. And then out of nowhere, there's suddenly a stop sign in this frame that was not there. I went yeah. back and checked. <laughs> this stop sign is not in the first fucking frame when she's talking to this person. Huh. Made me think, was that stops? Was she actually talking to the stop sign all along? Are we now seeing things that are not really there? Is it us, the audience, who are really the crazy ones? I mean, we're watching fucking Carrie too, so probably, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is after Rachel goes on a date with What's-His-Face because he asks her out by saying, just say yes and blocking her way in the hallway. Super fucking rude. Yeah, I don't like this pushy fucking nature this guy has with this lady. It's it's not cool. And then after she's dating him, the other girl that wanted to date him starts getting her panties in a knot. uh, And then her friend, who's played by uh, the Rachel Blanchard, yeah, Monica, uh, decides to pretend to be Rachel's friend by helping her steal lipstick from a department store or something. Sure. And look, I've seen the first Carrie. I knew that this should have been coming, right? I knew that this was fake. But I kind of believed that these two were actually going to be friends for a little part of this movie. Uh, I was kind of like, oh, this is nice. Maybe they are going to be friends. Maybe, like, Rachel Blanchard's character is not going to be a shit to her at the end of this fucking film, but unfortunately it doesn't play out that way. Do you think that's because it has to be a Carrie film? Because, like, if it didn't have to be that Carrie film, it didn't have to have the ending of the Carrie. It could have gone much more interesting directions of how students tackle bullying and how like it we'll get to the ending but i think it was a poor choice to have it at a house party (laughs) i'll also point out that these guys have been harassing rachel because they're worried about what she's gonna say about the thing that happened with lisa but by the time they start harassing her like the police have already seen the letter yeah that's right they've already seen they've already seen the photograph they've already gotten rachel's testimony and yet these dudes keep uh keep harassing rachel to protect protect their boy or something and it's like do you guys even realize that it's too fucking late for that and also he's already yeah, it's totally out of her yeah and and even it's out of her hands yeah and there's even this scene where that's got like the the parents and also the i think da and they're like oh it's not about evidence it's about elections so like they've already gotten off by halfway through the movie these guys are already off the hook yeah mm-hmm. so i don't know what the fuck their problem is with rachel at that point well then it kind of shifts i guess to being about uh what's her tracy's problem with rachel it's kind of cross purposes you know what i mean she's uh, yeah no you're right Sorry, I, I had a thought and it went <laughs> it's fine. Um, that's okay <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right um yeah we get to this climatic party scene at this fucking insane house with all these huge bloody windows and finch from american pie i mean like you call him fair we should say eddie k thomas but you know he's finch from american pie whatever yes him and his buddies are all like hanging around outside trying to get in they're kind of like the fucking dipshit kids and can't hardly wait 
Yeah. Why the fuck do you want to get in there so badly, guy? You're either just going to get your ass kicked, or worse, they're just going to laugh at you. Go start your own party. You'll have way more fun, and it probably won't leave, like, lasting social anxiety scars all over your psyche, right? I've never understood why this, this compulsion of people to try and get into parties of people that they are not socially mixing with. Yeah, I would be... I would be terrified to do that, to be honest. I would I would not want to... I was constantly paranoid of walking into spaces where I wasn't wanted uh, in high school. Is it kind of like... Like, have you ever had it? It's more elementary, but, like, someone's having a party, and then they're sending out the invites in the classroom, and you're like, well, I'm clearly not invited to this, but I'll watch as they go to other people <laughs> to give the invites. Yeah. Yeah, so, like, is it that case? Or maybe it's, like... Jesus, saw... did that happen? That never happened happened to me and not and i'm not talking about i know i never got not invited i'm sure there was plenty of parties i wasn't invited to but i don't remember ever seeing people handing out invites in class in front of their classmates paper invites who who does paper invites really it would be phone calls word of mouth and i don't know passing notes during math class or something roddy i think you went to school with a <laughs> bunch of assholes huh well, I'm just trying to get a frame of mind. <laughs> no, it's just I'm trying to get a frame of mind of like where like they're coming from. It's more of like a looking at like the mentality of like the pressure of being invited to like the cool kids. And like, I feel like these are all things that this movie was trying to explore, even with that one character. But again, it's like it goes nowhere. <laughs> yeah. That seems like a, a power move for a 10-year-old to be pulling to invite and not invite <laughs> mm-hmm. people. Wow. Yeah. My mom always told me that if I wasn't inviting everyone, that I had to invite everybody separately. Yeah, do do it with a bit of discretion, yeah? Do it, like, at break yeah. time or whatever, you know? Yeah. You've seen all the memes. You've seen all the stories. Like, you just go on Instagram and be like, oh, this person... Or it's the opposite, where, like, he, they invited everyone and then no one shows up. <laughs> it's like... Mm-hmm. Oh, I had that one. Yeah. See, these things just happen. And again, it's like... I was the one who showed up. Not and Nobody showed up to Aww. my party. Sorry, I want to make that clear. Okay. But good on you for showing up, right? Thank you. What, what, what did you do? What, what happened? I want to know what happened. Um, so it was, uh, <laughs> it was in like grade three. So I was eight or so, I guess, at the time. And uh, it was a boy that I had a crush on. So I went, but he was kind of a dickhead. <laughs> so he was bully to the rest of the the kids so i went with him it was the middle of january because it was a couple of days before my Mm. birthday so i was like okay cool two parties (laughs) but i remember i got him a bionicle Mm. for his birthday and i asked if he wanted help uh building it and he said i was too stupid to help him i was like cool do you know what this story started with me feeling sorry for this kid but now that you've kind of elaborated fuck that kid go build your own fucking bionicle (laughs) some dudes just can't take a hint i kind of understand it and now that I'm 26, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I Now that you're 26, you're thinking, I'm going to go get that fucking Bionicle back and build it myself. I'm going to get my own Bionicle. <laughs> I will do it myself. Go fuck yourself, bro. Uh, <gasps> yeah. Heated. <laughs> so, um, anyway, Rachel, Rachel finds out that these dick bags have all been scoring these girls that they sleep with. Um, and she finds out that poor old Mina Savari only got like four out of ten from this shithead. And, oh, what a surprise. There's also like a film of her and Jason London having sex and it gets blasted on the video wall of this party. 
who who at that party really wants to fucking see that like even the worst people would you really want to watch that at a party like somebody else's it just made me think of problem child 2 the bit where he <laughs> blasts the babysitter <laughs> and the her boyfriend getting yeah. on it's just like who the fuck is actually coming out to watch this i mean people all independently downloading it off the internet I mean, there's a lot of fucking people who would do that. Cause I mean, people, sure, revenge porn is a fucking people thing. People are, right? are way too fucking curious, but, like, at the same, like, watching it in a group, like, a group a group watch of somebody else's sex tape during a part, it just, it just, it just seems a little... What's the second feature on this bill? Is it the fucking footage of Mina Savari, like, dead on top of a fucking car? It's like... Like, it. what are they gonna, like, what, were these guys expecting an orgy? Like, what were they expecting? Like, it's just kind of awkward. Like, it's it's an awkward thing to show at a party. It was just really sad because they're all dancing with her and I guess she's thinking as though, oh, cool, you know, the boy I'm seeing talk to them and they're coming around, they're going to apologize. And, you know, she's having a great time and then all of a sudden that comes on and it just goes to show how shitty teenagers can be for sure. But it was just, I don't know, I was feeling good for her and now I'm feeling very sad and I'm glad for what happens next. <laughs> and also the house is fucking massive. It's a mansion. Yeah, what the hell was that? It's huge. Yeah, it's the perfect setting for what we get next. And whoa, mama, here comes the fucking payday of this movie. The bit that everybody paid for their fucking ticket for. Rachel goes into full-blown meltdown mode. And this film kicks into high gear here. She locks this place down like Guantanamo. And these tattoos, like, start fucking spreading all over her body. These vines are, like, wrapping all over her body. You know what? Actually, pretty half-decent CGI on this. It actually looks pretty cool. Yeah, it's my favorite effect from the entire movie is that yeah it looks it looks cool and she goes bananas Mm -hmm. people are getting fucking shattered glass thrust into their necks Mm -hmm. and there's blood splurting Mm -hmm. everywhere sue snell rocks up to this party with the mother um knocks at the door and she gets hardcore impaled by a poker that rachel has launched into the air so bye bye sue snell you were fucking useless in this movie kind of glad to see you go out in such a fucking indignant style didn't it go through the one guy and then then go through the door and hit her literally Mm -hmm. impales a dude on the door and then gets sue snell on the other side the very definition of a twofer right there it's yeah sue snell is dragged the schizophrenic mum there uh, oh and the glass shattering thing it was actual glass that was actually shattered and it took them a few takes to get what they needed for that and the actress ended up with a bunch of lacerations yeah i read this they couldn't shoot any more shots of her back after this mo- after they shot that scene because she was like literally covered in cuts from yeah. actual exploding glass. That's, that's terrible. Yeah, oh. that's that seems kind of reckless movie. Not cool. Mm. Um, she's like fucking throwing CDs around like that Cenobite in Hellraiser free. Like people are getting fucking CDs in their faces. Yeah. Um, she like sends a fucking flaming log right into the fucking drinks cabinet just to create like a raging inferno in this place. Uh, people are burning alive and all the while I'm like cheering this girl on because (laughs) fuck these assholes this is nothing less than they deserve also shit brick is down the street getting trashed while sitting on his car and he was like that must have been some killer party yeah you know what I didn't need his fucking (laughs) quippy little lines from Eddie K. Thomas at this point yeah Jesus Christ 
Um, oh, oh, she fucking makes Rachel Blanchard's glasses explode. Yeah. And yeah. they yeah. shatter in her eyes. And yeah. it's fucking gross, but also pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then she turns around and then, like, takes the dick off of the guy mm. right beside her because she has a harpoon yeah. for some it's reason. harpooned right in the taint. It's just yeah. like, what the fuck? Um, and then, and then we get the, what I think personally is the most gruesome fucking part of this movie. Rachel takes a flare to the tummy and basically falls in the pool. Yeah. And the pool cover, uh, the pool cover starts fucking closing. Yeah. Um, this is like up there on the worst ways to die list, right? Like being stuck under a fucking pool cover. Uh, she grabs like the main antagonist from this film and drags him into that fucking pool. Mm. She manages to get out, but he yeah. does not. Yeah, he and gets stuck. You know yeah. what? Fine. The camera camera does not cut away on the this guy drowning. Yeah. And the literal light going out in this fucking dude's eyes is mm. like this guy deserves nothing less. He's a shit bag. Mm. But mm. at the same time Haunting. This pool death is brutal. I remember when this movie came out. Uh I I like I say, I didn't see it. I know some of my friends went to see it, and I just remember all they talked about is this fucking dude drowning because yeah. it is fucking harsh yeah it's very it's i mean the whole movie's very harsh uh and then her mom finally turns up oh my god and starts babbling about her being the devil or having the devil having the de- having the having the devil in her and she just leaves right because it took me a yeah, while Yeah, right she just the mom just fucks off right nothing happens to the mom she doesn't yeah die. she just pieces out and i'm like what what happened that was like a loose threat i don't remember <laughs> yeah because uh she's like um, you're not my child, you know, you're not my baby, and then she's, Mama, don't leave me. Again, it was, it, it's one of the ones where, like, that is something that should be really emotional, and it's, like, thrown away yep. for the sake of this, like, big epic what everybody paid to see, and I'm like, ugh. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the whole relationship with the mom is not paid off in this movie at all. Mm. Um, so yeah, Rachel goes inside and Jason London shows up and then she, like, she starts using her telekinesis powers to become a video editor because she keeps replaying the same scene mm. of him saying, I love you as they're asleep. Um, also, uh, that's not how audio works either. True. And also manages to somehow keep zooming in on him every time she replays it, which I'm just thinking, okay, what well, is like yeah. Adobe fucking premiere part of her fucking telekinesis skills? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So but she basically ends up saving his fucking lame ass because this ceiling is like collapsing all around them. Uh, and she ends up getting fucking squished as the uh, as the building just turns into a raging inferno. Yeah, he gets there late because Tracy basically deliberately uh, sidetracked him to her place and then tried to seduce him wearing a blue dress. Um, yeah, there's that blue dress motif. Yeah, and that's why he ends up showing up late. Something falls on Tracy. Like, he sees Rachel, and then something falls on Tracy, and then he stops momentarily to try to help Tracy. Oh, yeah, that's right. He could have he could have totally saved her life, but he kind of, like, fucking never bothers and just goes to confront Rachel instead. So, yeah, the way she actually saves him is she, like, uses her telekinesis to yeet him into the fucking pool, which is kind of cool. He just, like, goes fucking flip-flopping through the air. It's pretty funny. Uh, and then the house just collapses around her, and bam, that's the fucking end of Rachel, I guess. This is a complete side note, but I've never heard Ness say yeet, and I'm just... There was just no? a weird feeling. Yeah. I've, no? I don't think I've heard him say no, yeet. No, I said like it we've heard of many Zane. times throughout this podcast. I guess, I guess, I guess for me, it's just always just. Hey, Rody, thanks for listening, man. 
I'm sorry. Maybe it's just more of like just hearing the word yeet. It's, you know what, I think... I'm still l- getting used to Laura, it. Laura actually introduced me to that word, and I think it's actually one of my favourite words to use now. It's just Aww. so wonderful. <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's permeated its way through this podcast, because I, yeah. I use it on occasionally now. I'm so sorry. I think it first surfaced on our Blade Trinity episode, possibly, when you said about her yeah. eating the baby off the fucking yeah. baby. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, oh, it's a tie God. back. Maybe it was just a glitch in the implant, and I just totally forgot. Uh, the <laughs> yeah, fucking, the AI is. is starting to fucking glitch out. Somebody needs to reboot Roddy. Yeah. Um, uh, to go, but the thing <laughs> is, though, when you were watching this and seeing this ending with Carrie, like, did you kind of think back to like any like it feels like a trope, or it feels like something that's well used, where if there is a woman and she has superpowers, she somehow has to control these powers or risk dying or killing everyone. Like, was it in Game of Thrones this happened, and then also mm-hmm. it, with Jean Grey this happened, mm. and like oh, it's yeah. like one of the things where I was just like could like that's why I was so disappointed when she died. I was like, well, really, this is this is how we're gonna end it, where she just dies. <laughs> Yeah, it's the trope of the abused person acquiring uh, acquiring powers and then struggling to use them uh, in the face of their own like anger and and trauma kind of thing. You know, sure, it's almost like a kind of Pandora's box kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, you know, once you let it out of the box, you can't put it back in. Yeah, but yeah, but Roddy, that's not how this movie ends because yeah. Oh, yeah. we yeah. cut to I think it's six months later or whatever, and Jason London is now at university. Uh, it kind of sucks that he has somehow inherited this dog, undeserved. No, he does not no, get to have Walter. Nuts. Yeah. You know what? I I liked the fact that they had Jesse with Walter because my first thought when uh, Rachel died was, "Oh my God, who's gonna look after Walter now? He has the cone of shame. <laughs> he's he's just been hit by a car. Like, who is gonna take after him?" So as soon as I saw that Jesse has him on the bed, I was like, "Wow." Jesse's the best guy ever because clearly the parents were going yeah, to take Yeah, I changed him. my stance. If he just stayed with those fucking dipshit foster parents, he would have been basically shut in right? a fucking coal shed or something. Yeah, so now he's got a comfy bed in a university with some guy who is getting his bread. Like, I'm, I'm ready for it. Just on that note, you can take your dog to university. I don't think you can. You can. Yeah, I wondered about that too. I was like, is he allowed to have a dog in there? Well, that's why he said, like, shh, you're going to get oh, us yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, okay. Wait, I need to remember, was it in, because you didn't full on explain it, right? Wasn't it a dream? So is the dog the dream? No, the dog's no. no, the dog is I think the there. dog is supposed to be real, the, yeah. Yeah, okay, so. Yeah, the dog uh, is yeah. actually there because of the. We basically here we get this fucking absolutely half-assed attempt to mimic one of the greatest jump scares in cinema. And from the first movie, you know, the movie ends with the, the inferno in the school. And then it cuts to later on, Sue Snell goes to Carrie White's grave. And then like the last shot of that movie is fucking this hand shooting up out of the grave and grabbing snooze now and then she wakes up screaming or whatever i remember the specifically what the last shot is but anyway one of the best jump scares in cinema they try and kind of replicate it here because he's uh jason london is kind of like you know lamenting the loss of rachel to himself in the mirror and then we see these feet appear through the window of the dorm room Mm -hmm. and enter rachel a kind of ethereal presence of rachel and she kind of like walks up to jason london and they start making out and you're kind of thinking oh 
maybe she didn't fucking die. Maybe, you know, this is a happy ending to this movie. But uh, no, oopsie daisy, she's a fucking ghost. She's not really there. And just as they're Frenching, she kind of like fucking steps back and turns into stone and shatters. She lets out this horrible shriek and then just like shatters and disappears. Mm -hmm. And then he wakes up and boom, that's the end of the fucking movie. I mean, it kind of works, but it's not a satisfying payoff. I mean, look, we get it tucked away in the fucking credits, but it says based on characters created by Stephen King. Yeah. Uh, although we could do an entire other podcast about Stephen King adaptations. Um, I, I'm of the belief that Stephen King's non-horror adaptations are always stronger than his actual horror adaptations. Mm-hmm. Not many of his horror adaptations, I think, are particularly great movies, mm. uh, with the exception of The Shining, but that deviates so far from the original novel that... Mm-hmm. See, I really like The Mist, though. Okay, The the Mist is definitely one that does work. I think The Mist is a, is a cool movie. Um, mm-hmm. With such a fucking bummer of an ending as well. But but iconic. It's a well-known ending. Oh, absolutely. I, but I generally think like things like Pet Cemetery, It, um, you know, the, the TV movies that they did of things like Tommyknockers, I don't think they work as well. Whereas like his non-horror stuff like Shawshank Redemption, Stand By Me... Um, even maybe Green Mile oh, are just yeah, like Mile. legitimately fucking good bits of cinema, you know? Yep. But yeah, I don't know. I just kind of feel like mm, this Stephen King probably wasn't a fan of this, right? I don't know. I would love to know what he thought of this movie. Yeah, maybe. And then again, you know, he, he prefers the, the TV movie of The Shining over yeah. the Kubrick movie. So maybe he fucking thinks this is the best thing since sliced bread. I don't know. Uh, and also on the credits, by the way, we get um, assistant to Amy Irving, Max Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> So I guess this was the uh, the job that got him on the career ladder that led to him directing Jaws 19. <laughs> Amy Irving was married to Steven Spielberg for like four years in the 80s and they oh, had some okay. together. Uh, she got a hundred million in that divorce, my I add. Ouch. Savvy fucking lawyer. Yeah. Apparently the story goes that they had a prenuptial, but it was written on a napkin. So the judge <laughs> in the divorce case completely dismissed it and fucking gave her half of Spielberg's money. They were like, nope. Yeah. Um, and hey, that's fucking carry to the rage. Would you guys recommend this movie? I don't know. It's kind of intense. Not because it's a bad sequel, but because it's just, it contains a lot of intense material that some people might find um, hard to watch. Okay, so really quickly, I just saw on the Wikipedia that Stephen King has rated it as acceptable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> nice. I disagree. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know. I, of course, when it comes to, we didn't really touch on it a lot, but we already touched on it in Brahms, so we know our stance. When it comes to just needless, um, animal abuse scenes, uh, it just sours the entire thing for me. And I'm glad Walter's okay. Um, I'm glad that they, you know, stuck that through. Um, but using that as a plot device was not necessary to me. It's not well done, so (laughs) that doesn't have it going for it either. So I wouldn't recommend it just in general. Roddy? Yeah, I'm gonna say like a similar boat really. There's like a lot of like the imagery that it shows, I feel like I don't know, like it wasn't worth kind of feeling that the experiences of that because they were quite heavy to the end up to what ended up being the story it tried to tell. And I guess it just didn't gel and I was actually thinking about it. Like I would rather just not watch the film and just watch the TV show I'm not okay with this because mm. I felt like that did a much better job and again it, what choices it made to kind of show the anger and everything like that was just so much more well done and like it kind of is plays on the carry a lot 
but it does it so much better so much better than this movie sure and also fuck netflix for uh not doing a second season of that show because that first season was pretty great um you know what i kind of cautiously recommend this movie i actually liked this more than i thought i was gonna mm-hmm I think all, like I've said, like throughout this episode, I kind of feel like all the Carrie related stuff feels shoehorned in. Mm-hmm. I just really wish that it didn't. I mean, we wouldn't be talking about it if it didn't, right? But if it didn't have that kind of through line and instead maybe focused on what its original purpose was, which was, you know, high school boys are fucking shit and mm-hmm. it's a tough world to be in high school. Mm-hmm. especially in like the late 90s i kind of feel like that's the interesting fucking angle on this movie and when they do address it they do a pretty good job as far as i'm concerned it's not a fucking great movie it has some hokey stuff in it but i didn't hate it i kind of i thought it was okay it was a passable watch for me mm-hmm. so yeah that was our episode on the rage carry 2 directed by cat shay next week on the show what is this Oh! I'm a cartoon? What's up, Doc? Oh, can't wait. <laughs> I've heard so many good things about it. Me and Laura watched this one last weekend, and oh boy. I mean, look, um, it's not like there aren't already a million fucking takes on the internet about this one, but holy shit. It's a journey. It really is. Until then, you can find us on Twitter at Bad Numbers Pod. We're on Insta, BWM Pod. Email the show, why don't you, at BWMPod at Gmail. We have been bad with numbers from Toronto, Canada. Stay safe out there. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. was as meaningless as theirs, wouldn't you go crazy too? Come and think of it, my guidance counselor was kind of worthless.